What's going on, everyone? It's Cole Cruz, and you're listening to the KC at the Movies podcast for the 11th, I was going to say 12th, the 11th of March, 2020. Uh, sorry, it's been a while. I uh, opted out on, simple as this, just opted out on recording anything for a while just because of personal reasons. I'm not going to dive into it, but I'm here now. I'm going to talk about two films in this podcast. I want to talk about Guns Akimbo. We're going to talk about The Invisible Man. Uh, Invisible Man we'll talk about later on, but Guns Akimbo, we can, we can get right into that if you want to want to get going here. But yeah, just apologies have been away, but I will say while in my absence, I've um, been planning a few things. There's going to be a everything I watched in February this week, so expect that. And um, there might be something else coming down the pod. I don't But uh, yeah. Those are the current plans at the moment. Um, I didn't wasn't just uh, you know taking a break just for the sake of taking a break. Something has happened recently, so I took some time away. And um, yeah, but I'm back. So here we go. Before I uh, get into this chat about Guns Akimbo, right? So Guns Akimbo is written and directed by this um, guy named Jason Lee Howden. Before the release of this film, I want to talk about this for a bit. For the release of this film, something happened to this uh, writer director. Something um, now I will say it wasn't it wasn't uh, his fault. However, he did pile onto this uh, situation and pretty much made it worse for him. And his release and the release of his film, and it's not because of the content. We'll get to the content and the quality of the film later on. But I just want to talk about what what he did beforehand. Because um, it's pretty interesting to me, and this is just a lesson of what to do before your film's release. I think. So, what happened was, uh, this um, this guy, Delari Elbeer from uh, the film criticism blog Much Ado About Cinema, um, went on a bit of a racist tirade, I guess, against these people, um, especially people of color. Um, also, there were women as well. They were writers. And uh, he used the, unfortunately, used the N-word. He stirred a little bit of controversy um, over that. And our friend here, Jason Lee Howden, our writer-director here, uh, went on to that and went on to defend Elbeer on Twitter. I could be saying this last name wrong. I don't know. But he went on to defend Elbeer on Twitter, not only on his own account, but also on the Guns Akimbo official Twitter account hitting back at these people that were criticizing this Elbeer about what he had done. Now, later that night, Elbeer tweeted an apology video that also indicated uh, a suicide attempt. I'm taking this, by the way, from a Vulture article that was released uh, on the February 24th, 2020. And uh, it does go on to say that uh, they contact the local authorities and report back that Elbeer was safe, he's in the hospital, and she's not on currently on social media. It's, it's, a, it's a woman. I thought it was a guy. It's a woman. That does not take away the uh, the unfortunate um, situation here um, that that like they, they went on the tirade about. But what's happened here is this guy Jason Lee Howard, the writer director of this uh, Guns Akimbo, again, like I said, not only went on his own account, went on the Guns Akimbo account, and I believe this is like the eve of the release of the film as well. 
And that's not a smart thing, especially when you're Saban Films, which is the uh, uh, the, the production company for uh, Guns Akimbo. And I think this is why the film went straight to VOD as well. Maybe it was that was its initial release plan. I'm not too sure. But it was just funny how after this happened, uh, Saban Films pretty much dropped Guns Akimbo on VOD. So you can actually go watch it right now if you want to. However, I, my friend and I went to a uh, one-night-only screening. They were holding these one-night-only screenings in Australia for Guns Akimbo. And um, we went to one of them, saw the film, say, if you're a writer-director and your film is coming out, let's say, the next day, uh, probably take a page from this book of lessons and uh, don't go on your official film's Twitter account and harass people. Probably not the best move in terms of marketing and um, uh, things like that. Because you're going to... I mean, it probably did affect the release of the film. It had a very, very limited release. And perhaps that's why... I'm not saying it is, but perhaps that's why Saban Films decided to release Guns Akimbo like, like pretty much the next day. I'm going to saw it on Friday night with my friend. And then we on Sunday, I found uh, Guns Akimbo that was available online um, on VOD. So if you're a copy coming filmmaker, don't just don't do that. <laughs> Probably not the best thing to do. That jump on your film's Twitter account and uh, defend a um, a racist. Probably don't. That's probably not a smart thing to do. Um, I don't know much about this director. I don't know much about this director, but I know that I'm not going to do what he did. Uh, that's for sure. But what's the film about? Let's get to the film. That's the uh, thing I wanted to talk about. I just thought that was interesting. Uh, but what, what's the film about? So we also went on Friday night. went to a uh, Island screening at Event Cinemas. And it's about Daniel Radcliffe plays Miles Harris. He is a uh, coder for a mobile game. He is also a keyboard warrior, as uh, people would, would put that. And as he calls himself, the troll hunter in the uh, film. And uh, what happens is he goes online... So they exist in a world where this uh, online entertainment organization called Schism is uh, pretty much taking over the world. It's, it's mostly happening in North America, but it's, it's taking over the world slowly. And what it does is it pits criminals against criminals and makes them kill each other. It's kind of like a uh, gladiatorial kind of thing. And uh, it reminds me of uh, Nerve. If you've watched Nerve back in 2016, it's kind of like that, but R-rated. So what happens is Miles jumps online, attacks the schism people and says that they're a bunch of uh, disgusting people and blah, blah, blah. And then they track his IP address, come to his house, nail, not stick, nail to guns to his hand. And as we know that guns akimbo means, you know, dual wielding guns. They nail two guns to his hand and he has to, what he, he's pitted against the top-ranking criminal of the, of the, uh, of the whole uh, game, Nyx, played by Samara Weaving, beautifully made, and uh, they've got to try and kill each other. Now, obviously, Miles doesn't want to do that, so he's pretty much getting chased the whole entire movie, and he's on an adventure, two guns with his hand, dressing gown, slippers. Now, you might have seen the uh, picture that was of, <laughs> of uh, Daniel Radcliffe where he had the guns in his hand, and uh, he was, I think he was, like, doing, like, he had him like to his face like that, and it looks like there was heaps of memes going around of like Harry Potter in this this time, and and Harry Potter in the real world, and it's like the guns in his hand. That is that. That 
picture is from this film. So that's it. That's pretty much the plot. Two guys, guns with um, one guy, two guns uh, nailed to his hand and running away or trying to solve this problem with him being chased, I guess. It's not really, yeah. It's a crazy action movie with a shit, some shit jokes, shit dialogue and very little character development. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe's fine. I've always found him fine. Um, other than Harry Potter, he's done some films that are, he makes really interesting choices when it comes to films. Um, I'll give him that. But he's always really fine with me. He's never really wowed me, and he's always just um, fine. He plays the role pretty well. Uh, Samara Weaving to me is the best part of this film. She plays the uh, top-ranking criminal player uh, Nix, who is running after um, Miles in this um, world, and she's like well trained. She's just a She's the best, pretty much. And uh, she played a character well. Um, I would probably say it's a mix of her character from Mayhem and uh, Grace. Her character Grace from um, Ready or Not. You take the badass... Um, like, you get the... Yeah, you take you take the, the badassery, if that's a word. don't think it is. From her character in Mayhem. And you kind of mix that in with the innocence and the... Uh, yeah, the innocence of of, of Grace, um, because there is there are some character development um, for the, for Nicks, and I think that's the strongest one we get, we get really. Miles is not really it's pretty much pretty surface level, but we get most of the character development with um, with Nicks. Yeah, there's a lot of humor in this movie that just doesn't work and uh, land very well. They're very easy and juvenile jokes, um, and it, and it's it's weird to say that and uh, in this day and age because. It's either going to be, this humor is either going to be for you or not for you. And um, it's odd to say that I just I just don't think I enjoy this type of humor anymore. I don't find it very funny. It's weird saying it's grown out of it. It, it sounds pretty, um, I don't know, not does it pretend pretentious saying that just you've just grown out of that type of humor. Because I used to, like, obviously I used to like this humor when I was younger. But now I, I just appreciate it. I don't know, better comedy? <laughs> that sounds pretentious. But yeah, I um I just I'm just not really into that this type of humor anymore. And I, I do get why I do get how people would you know like this kind of stuff. It's 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 uh nice and easy. So I'd say the jokes only worked if they were coming from the character. Nick's for example, Smart Weaving just plays it really, really well. She has great comedic timing, as she always does, which she did in Mayhem. And uh, she has some great committee timing in this as well. There are some funny lines, but there's, it's you know, too far in between. Far and few between, sorry. But I will say they, the action sequence of this movie kind of make up for the bad dialogue and character development. Um, there are some cool camera angles. It's like if you mixed in um, a director who we're going to talk about in, in a bit, Lee Winnell's tracking movement he did with Upgrade and all the camera tricks he did with that film, and you did a little, and you kind of like mixed that with the craziness of Scott Pilgrim. But there's just a lot of it, and at times it can be a little maddening and really weird, like, just you'd be like, that's way too much, like, that, you're, like it just assaults your senses, pretty much. It's not going to work for you sometimes. I know people will get really sick, because there's a sequence where the camera just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling, and like, things are upside down, and the whole world's turning, and then uh, I know some people that'll be like looking at that and be going, I'm, <laughs> fuck, I'm getting sick. I'm getting sick watching it. Uh, 
Um, but there are some really cool sequences. A lot of over-the-top violence and gore. People are going to love about it. It's good grindhouse shit. But unfortunately, it just it's really, really lax in character development, dialogue, jokes, all that stuff. So I couldn't really give this much of a glowing review to Guns Akimbo. But I won't say that my time was wasted. Unlike a film I saw on Sunday, which we'll talk about in the uh, uh, the March watch. But yeah, if you if you like uh, over the top violence and gore, just fun, like just brainless. Uh, mindless action and just craziness and yeah all that stuff i don't know this this could be for you but um i don't really see myself watching this one again to be honest all right moving on to the film that everyone's talking about i mean i've talked to a few people about this one but uh, it seems to be a hot topic at the moment the invisible man the invisible man it's written and directed by Lee Wenong. It stars Elizabeth Moss as Cecilia. And she is in an abusive relationship with her boyfriend, Adrian. And uh, he ends up killing himself. And then during the aftermath of that, there are some strange things going on uh, post his death. And uh, she believes that he is stalking her. You know, things are happening around her and she believes that it's him and he's still alive and he's tormenting her and stalking her. And that's our film. Now, before I get into uh, all my thoughts about this movie and about the themes and everything, I just want to warn the listener that this is going to be going to ha- contain minor spoilers because I do want to talk about the themes in this movie and what I, you know, what I saw and, and go into a little more detail of what I think about it. I'm probably gonna, I, I'm, I am gonna talk about the film's ending as well. Because this film's been out for about two weeks now. So, um, if you haven't seen it, please do go watch it. It's a really, really good movie. I think Winnell has written and directed something unlike anything I haven't, I've seen before to do with tales like this. Especially um, really old tales like this. And smartly applying contemporary themes to it. I think it does a fantastic job. So yeah, let's let's get into it. So I'm just warning you now, minor spoilers, but then I'll let you know when I want to talk about the ending, and we'll slap a spoiler warning up there for you. If you have not seen the trailer for this film, and you don't want to be spoiled on anything, I recommend that you don't watch the trailer. Wenell has actually gone on to say that the trailer actually doesn't spoil anything, and I will uh, echo those um, those words and say, no, it doesn't really spoil anything as you're in the second act and the third act, but it does spoil a few scares that I think that are very effective in the context of the film. Don't watch the trailer if you haven't watched it, and let's carry on. Alright. <clears throat> what did I think about it? This movie was... I did not expect when I what, I what I saw when I watched this film. I was absolutely blown away by it. I think Wenell has made something really, really, really effective and very and scary at the same time. Creepy using a lot of horror elements, a lot of action elements, um, thriller elements, and he just does it beautifully. I think of his film Upgrade from two years ago, if you haven't seen Upgrade, it's it's actually a great action film, and he, when I was camera tricks and uh, the development of, of Grey as a character are really, really, are really great, and I think when does carry 
uh, elements of that of that uh, film into this, especially the camera tricks, and we'll get to that in a minute. But what I really love about The Invisible Man is, and I did mention it before, I think when Nell presents the concept, uh, this really, this this old concept, it's a HG, based off a of H.G. Wells novel, of the, of the Invisible Man, he is one of the Universal monsters. Now, we all know back in 2016 when Universal tried to jumpstart the uh, Dark Universe with the Mummy film and how that went. No, it, it, yeah, it, it didn't go, didn't it? It didn't. Laughably bad, my dad. It was, it was pretty embarrassing. So now they're trying these one-off films, and I think this is a great start. So I think he presents the concept in a very smart and clever way. He uses a classic tale that everyone knows. Um, well, I wouldn't say everyone, but like the people that love this kind of stuff do know about it. But, uh, like I said, seamlessly weaving in contemporary themes that are not only relevant, but that people can relate to as well. Uh, themes like domestic violence, abusive, toxic relationships, gaslighting, and trauma. I think there are, there are going to be a lot of people that can relate to these themes. I know a friend of mine who I attended the screening with, we we have both experienced these themes. I wouldn't say, um, for myself, I wouldn't say in the strongest of ways, but I have dealt with, you know, inklings of these themes. And, uh, but I, and I do understand people that have gone through this type of stuff. And it's very heavy stuff. It's very, very heavy stuff. And, and the film just addresses it in, a, in I think, a beautiful way. The themes almost give a whole new meaning to the title, The Invisible Man. Because when you think about domestic violence and you think about abusive relationships, gaslighting especially is a, is a very relevant topic in today's um, social uh, circles. It feels like this man is like a lingering presence. And it can, it can, it like, I, know, I know that it can be a man, it can be a woman. Whatever happened, if you, if you had like a, a relationship like this, you feel like they're still there with you. And um, I think that's very, very effective. But let's... Uh, I want to talk about the performance in this movie. Elizabeth Moss. Now, she's fantastic. I think she's also... She's also, like Daniel Radcliffe before, I think she's really choosing smart projects that really show her range. I wouldn't say Daniel Radcliffe's showing his range so much as Elizabeth Moss, but she is, yeah, choosing really interesting projects that really uh, show her range and, and really, and, and what she can really do. I mean, I haven't really seen her in Handmaid's Cell. I've heard it's a great show, but, um, you know, seeing her in Us, um, I did watch a few episodes of that Top of the China, oh, I think it was The Girl the Top of the Lake, I think it was called. She was really good in that. And I think she's, um, she's becoming... Uh, one of the actresses to watch, really. Um, she was in a movie last year as well that I talked about with a friend of mine, Jay, Her Smell. Uh, I didn't like the film as much as he did, but I thought her performance was very, very good. And she is absolutely fantastic here. She's really, really good. She's just very easy to elicit sympathy from the viewer as well because she plays the, the character of Cecilia so well. Um, and that that also could be attributed to Lee Winnell's directing and writing as well. But I just think that she was absolutely fantastic. She's definitely the standout, as she should be in a film like this. 
Uh, her, her surrounding cast is, is pretty good as well. Uh, I'm, I don't really go much from Storm Reid, but she was fine. Um, Aldous Hodge, though, from the Purge films. Interesting seeing him here because I'm usually watching him in the uh, as the uh, you know he starts off as the homeless man in the first purge and then goes on to be one of the uh, I believe one of the soldiers in uh, either anarchy or uh, election year, but he was really good too. And um, I want to just highlight uh, who plays Adrian because he also very very scary. Oliver Jackson Cowan. As uh, Adrian, he's he was he's really good. Plays the role really well. Very menacing, very scary, and yeah, he's he's a he's a scary boy. That's what I, that's all I could say. Going back to how the film looks technically as well, it's shot really well. Winnell uses these wide shots to establish that there is definitely a presence in the room, and it's just as simple as just setting the camera up in the room and having the viewer look at that. It reminded me of Aria, what Arias did with Hereditary, um, where you'll be looking at the frame. It's a wide shot. Let's say the character's, uh, you know, in the center or the, the right of the frame or the left of the frame, and you'll be looking around and trying to find more, you know, more things in in the frame. Like if there's something there, is there something in the darkness? Whereas in Invisible Man, we we know there's something in the frame, but we it's just an empty space, but we know it's him. And just that alone, I think just having that alone, being as simple as that, setting up a camera, having Elizabeth Moss do all that stuff on the right side of the frame, when to the left side of the frame, we just have empty space. And putting that image into the viewer's head is scary enough for me. The the fear of the unknown kind of comes into that. I have a, I have a thing where if I don't know what is there and it's causing some sort of uh, you know hostility towards someone or even myself... Very, very effective on me. <laughs> Works really, really well. And it just it just looks it's it's just done so simply, but it's very, very effective. Um, to use that word for the five hundred thousandth time. Oh the action as I said before, the action elements from upgrade do return and uh, he does lose a lot of that head tracking thing. I'll be interested to see if Wenell trademarks that kind of stuff i haven't really seen that before done kind of like like he does i would be interested to see if he actually you know tries to trademark that kind of stuff and then that could be his thing that could be his little staple his little uh his director's mark i guess <laughs> i'm gonna try to find the word for it but yeah i think this the first act and the second act of this film are the strongest ones and I think the third act is definitely the weakest. So let's get into our problems here. Uh, logically, there are some problems I have with this film. There are a number of things that happen uh, in this film that happen in the presence of security cameras, surveillance cameras. Now, there's a certain scene that happens at a restaurant that, uh, you know, scared the shit out of me. Very big, very, very big thing that happens. And it happens at a restaurant. It happens, it happens as in front of everyone, like a like a lot of people in a very public place, and there's some fallout to that. And what happens is, um, I, I'm trying to skate around this without spoiling it too much. Um, I just think what happens, the aftermath that happens after that, could be solved by just looking at certain CCTV. Uh, footage, security camera footage. Now, if the film didn't establish 
that there are cameras. Because uh, there are certain scenes where you just see uh, Cecilia running away or there will be an action taking place that will be right in the view of the camera. If the film didn't already establish that there were already cameras in the film, I would probably suspend my disbelief and just believe that that is the film's logic, that they didn't find that or that was erased by you know, someone or something. Uh, but because the film establishes that there are cameras, I find it hard to believe that I can just watch that and be like, well, that, okay, that like okay so she's crazy she's crazy this all can be solved by looking at the footage of the cameras um i I just i don't know this kind of irks me a little throughout the film especially knowing that there are cameras like and if you've already established that it's kind of hard to just say well let's just sweep that on the rug just ignore that let's just sweep that on the rug i i just find that hard to believe okay let's talk about the ending i want to talk about the ending before i start this is a big spoiler warning. This is I'm going to talk about the ending of The Invisible Man. So, if you have not seen the film, do not listen any further. If you have seen the film, please continue to listen, and uh, hopefully you enjoy the discussion. And if you don't care, just fucking, yeah, sure, keep listening. That's fine. That's fine too. Uh, but I want to talk about the ending of the film, because I've had a few problems with it. Okay. First, we're just going to say what happens during the end. So what happens is uh, Cecilia goes back to Adrian. We find out that Cecilia's brother has been in, was in the suit in the third act of the film, I believe. And Adrian locked himself in a house and he tried to make it as if like he his brother went crazy, locked him in there, and then he was rescued and blah blah blah. He invites Cecilia back to his back to their place, actually, even in the uh, this really secluded area, and there's no one around. And um, as we see in the brilliant opening sequence, um, there's no one there. It's very hard to get to. It's very hard to get out of. You need to have like a car there or a car to. You can't just yeah. You can't just like fuck off, run away. Um. So she goes back to Adrian's house and she tries to catch Adrian in the act. That's what happens. And what she does is puts on the invisible suit. Now she has her cop. Uh, friend, I'm not gonna. I don't think I can remember his name, uh, but Aldous Hodge's character. He sits outside and he's listening to the conversation because he's trying to get, get him in the act. She's bugged. She's trying to get him in the act. She puts on the suit and slits his throat. Now earlier in the restaurant scene that I talked about before, he slit her sister's throat, which is a very shocking scene. Worked really well, but again, I've got those logical problems with it. And then it tries to make her look crazy. She slits his throat, walks outside with the invisible suit in the bag, and tells her cop friend to ignore everything and just say that he killed himself. And then she walks away, and the film ends. Okay, first of all, I understand that people can feel like, they feel empowered by that ending. Um, they can feel like she's gone through that much fucking shit that she's just willing just to just to kill him. That that it's the, it's the only way to get rid of this son of a bitch, just to kill him. And uh, and uh, for it to just all to be over. And I understand that. I understand that she just yeah just wanted to be done. There's no way to do it. But here are my problems. She walks away with the suit, which means she's probably going to use it again. And she further manipulates her cop friend. I mean, not even manipulating, just fucking straight up tells him to look the other way 
drop all of his morals as a policeman. And before in the film, he talks about being a policeman and and, and uh, demonstrating those morals. Drop all his morals and just say, oh yeah, he killed himself. Now, again, going to the empowerment thing and understanding that they just wanted this all to be over, he could be feeling the same as well. He could be feeling that he wanted it to be over as well. He wanted it to be all over for her because he feels that much for her, that she's been through so much fucking shit already that he's willing just to look the other way at a fucking murder. The problem with the ending, this ending for me, is it, I feel like it contradicts the film's message. I just feel it sends, I feel it's the, the, ending, the ending sends the wrong message. Because she has done what he has done to her probably for in their lifetime and throughout the film's duration. She slit his throat like he slit her sister's throat. She has the suit and she tells the cop to look the other way. Oh, he killed himself. Yes, he killed himself. This is what he actually did, right? He killed himself. And he's like, well, yeah, he killed himself. The problem with that is during their abusive relationship, he would have been the one telling her to look the other way and saying that, like, you know, let's say he beat her up, and she's going out, and she's putting on makeup, and she can't cover up, and then you still have the uh, the scars on your face and bruises. He would have been the one saying, oh, honey, you fell down the stairs, right? Like, you fell down the stairs. This didn't happen. This happened. And then, and she says that in the film. She says that. He tells you all these things to be safe, and he this is he further manipulates you into feeling like you've done something wrong, and that's when he attacks. Oh, you've done something wrong. I mean that that's going that's for the gaslighting thing. Uh, you've done something wrong, and then he just traps you. He traps you. That's what she says in in the uh, in a scene in the film when um, she's trying to track him down at the house of the her police friend, and she says that to uh, her. I don't know if it's her niece or just like her friends. Storm Reid's character. She tells her that. That he does all of this. So in the end, she has done the exact same thing. I just don't feel it. I, I just don't feel that that it's uh, I don't know. I just have I just have a problem with it. I really have a just have a problem with that. That she has displayed all of those things and she has the suit. Didn't get rid of it. She still has it. So she could do more things. Also, this kind of tells the fact that there could be a sequel to this film, and I really wish there isn't a sequel, because this film stands great on its own. It doesn't need to have any extended story to it, unless when no one wants to do anything more. But I just feel like this, this story was over. It's a it's a well-told tale from start to finish, and um, just unfortunately with a mixed ending that I just wasn't really... wasn't there for. Um... I just, yeah, I just, that just doesn't sit with me. It just doesn't really sit with me. I understand the other side of it. I have a friend of mine who says that she felt empowered by the ending, that she just said, well, that was the only way to get rid of him, so she finally just did it. She took matters into her own hands and she did it. But I just can't help but feel like she just turned into him. And it may be the fact that Wenell really likes doing I can I can tell from his from Saw even from Upgrade when Gray kills the policeman at the end. Spoilers for Upgrade. Sorry for that. Uh, he likes cathartic and brutal endings, and that's exactly what he does here with Invisible Man. So um, that that could be his thing. 
I just yeah, I don't know. It doesn't sit with me. It doesn't uh, doesn't sit with me. I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, if you have something to say, hit me up. I'd love to hear. I'd love to chat with more people about the ending and, and see what they think. Um, I'm just very mixed on it. I understand both sides, but I do have that glaring issue that I just don't agree with. And um, I'd love to discuss it further with anyone who wants to talk about it. Uh, but other than that, great film. Probably the best film I've seen all year in cinema. And uh, looking forward to what Wendell does next. Moss is fantastic. Wendell needs to keep making movies. That's about it, guys. Thank you for listening to uh, this week's belated podcast about the Guns, uh, Guns Akimbo and the Invisible Man. Make sure to like the Facebook page. Go on Instagram, follow the uh, podcast page, follow the podcast on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and uh, the new feature, subscribe to my YouTube channel, please. Uh, that would help out a lot. That'd be fantastic. Um, I'm going to start releasing, I know I didn't release the Sonic segments and Shadow segments on, on that yet, but um, I'll get around to doing that, and I'll release both the Kanza Kimbo segments and the uh, Visible Man segments as well. Now, I mentioned that I'll be doing the Everything I Watched in February this week. Yes, that'll be, that'll be coming up this week. I can't really exactly tell you what time because I've got some things going on during the later half of this week. That, that'll be up there. That, I'll make sure that that is up there uh, this week. And there's some, there's, some, there's some things to talk about that I watched in February. There's some things to talk about. There's already some things in fucking March I want to talk about. <laughs> I want to talk about. But uh, that's about it. And uh, like I said, there'll be there might be some something there might be something else going up there, yet, but uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'll let you find out. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening, and um, you'll probably hear from me again this week. Cheers. <laughs>